Welcome to The Sound of the Hound. Series 2. The podcast about the early days of recorded sound. In it, we talk about the recording pioneers and artists who created the modern music industry over 100 years ago. We look at the sometimes ridiculous lengths they went to to capture sound and the technology they used in order to do it. We come from the point of view of spirited amateurs. Yes, we're very much armchair enthusiasts. And we play a little scratchy music along the way. This podcast comes to you with the support of the EMI Archive Trust, the Music and Technology Archive. This is The Sound of the Hound. (laughs) Welcome to The Sound of the Hound. I'm James Hall. I'm Dave Holly. And today we are talking about Fred Geisberg's sidekick. The the Robin to his Batman. The, the, The Sundance Kid to his Butch Cassidy. The Rishi to his Boris. Oh, yeah, I'd think who Rishi was then, yes, yes. The Rodney or to his Del Boy, let's... Yeah. And he... Who was he? He's a, he's a man called Sinclair Darby. So let's... Can we just pause and reflect on that name? Yeah. William Sinclair William Darby. Sinclair. What a name. You know, like Alan um, uh, Wynne-Jones, the Welsh captain? Yeah. His, his name is Alan Wynne. So Jones is his surname. Alan Wynne is his first name. William Sinclair is his first name. The... And Darby is his okay. surname. For the purposes of this episode, should we call him Sinclair? Which yeah, I love. Yeah, which, which seems to be what all his contemporaries called him. Sinclair or Sinclair Darby. Sinclair was five years younger than Fred. He was American, bought it, born in um, South Carolina. In a real uh, cotton town. In a cotton a town. Tiny eight, town. 1878, 8th of October. The family moved quite quickly, though, to Washington. So sometime in his... It, it, I can't find out when, but sometime in his first 12 years, they move... He's definitely moved to Washington by 12. Yeah, yeah. So he's probably got a bit of a southern draw. Southern draw. And do we think he... Is it right to say he's overlooked and Fred gets all the plaudits? I think so. But Fred was always the first man and was probably the senior recording engineer and Sinclair Darby. But Sinclair Darby starts off as his assistant and then spends a lot of time out on his own making records. And and, and there was a team of them doing that. He kept diaries as well, didn't they? Yes. Sinclair Darby stories, which are very, which are fascinating, and give a slightly uh, sort of counterpoint to Fred's more sensational recollections. Is that? Yeah, they're, they're both mixture of kind of dry facts about we recorded X, Y, and Z, and we had this amount of acid and, yeah. and these amount of wax discs, and then the other thing, they're they're both quite gossipy yeah. <laughs> actually, and, yeah. and they're both interested in the ladies, particularly oh, early are. on. Well, more of that later. <laughs> more yeah. of that later, but so they meet. They mean America, in America don't they, first. Fred is working for Emil Berliner. Yeah. In a in a laboratory, I think in Washington. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And the, Washington is is the epicenter of the recording industry. Washington, and and yeah. the, the address is fourteen ten Pennsylvania Avenue, which sounds sounded a little bit slightly familiar. Is it? Well, the White House is number sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. So this was Blimey. Berliner's gaff in 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 or his lab, sorry, in Washington, yeah. just up the road, a couple. Of, Couple of blocks, blocks away, away couple I would of blocks. Think, yeah. Sounds it. Fred was working there and um, heard that uh, Berliner was looking for a few more um, research staff mm. in his early recording lab and rushed home. Fred had a brother called Will, a little bit younger, who did end up working for him. Yeah. Rushed home in excitement and said, "Will, Will, there's a there's a there's a, a vacancy at work and um, you must do it." And Will wrote in his diary, I will never forget of this evening, I will never forget the one night when my brother came home and told my father that another assistant was needed in the laboratory. 
and how hard I pleaded with my father to allow me to join the staff. But it was not to be, as my father informed my brother that he did not think that he should let two of his sons start their careers in such an uncertain business as the talking machine. Um, his friends, with whom he discussed it, agreed with him. I was put to selling coal. <laughs> and a school chum of mine, William Sinclair Darby, was given the position. Yeah, so I think, I think Will is about five years young, so they Will's must have been five, contemporaries. So, so Fred's younger brother and Sinclair were at school together. I love the fact that his dad... Yeah. Uh, all the negotiations went through his dad. Yeah. Nah. And his dad kind of. You're not doing that. Yeah. Computer says, nah. Records. Yeah. Talking machine. Are you mad? Go and pick. He's mad. Fred's mad. We don't want two of them in the family. Go and sell yeah. coal. Yeah. You idiot. I mean. He's always going to need coal. Poor, poor Will. Anyway, so this is how Sinclair and, and Fred got to know each other and started working together. Sinclair, there's a photo of them. Sinclair's kind of. He's sort of tall and quite good looking, isn't he? Yeah. He's tall and good-looking, and Fred's, we know Fred is five foot two. I, I mean, Sinclair Darby probably looks about, do you know what? If Fred's five foot two, Sinclair Darby must be about five nine, five ten, five eleven. Right, yeah. Maybe, maybe five, five ten, five eleven, I would guess. Yeah. Let me just, can I just describe, just to kind of put, put the technology in context here, there is a description of the, the lab on Pennsylvania Avenue and how they make records. And I know this isn't strictly to do with Sinclair, but can I just read? Um, you can do whatever you like. Um, it's your podcast. The discs were made of vulcanized rubber, right? But the trouble was, it wouldn't retain the impression. When, when the master disc, very heavy, stamp, was stamped down on this vulcanized rubber, the impression stayed there a bit, but it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't yeah. last. So when you put a needle on, you couldn't hear the song after a while. So they moved to a sort <laughs> of plastic, and they used a company called the Duranoid Company of Newark NJ which made buttons, and they used the, the material made for buttons to make discs. So they're trying different... They're um, trying to, exactly. Uh, they're really kind materials, of feeling yeah. their way. And the, the plastic was made of powdered shellac, or shellac, I never quite know how shellac, to... I, shellac, I think, yeah, yeah. Which is crushed, crushed beetles' shells, the shells of a shellac beetle. And a, a substance called biritis, biritis, which is clearly some compound, and it was bound together with cotton flock and coloured with lamp black. Which oh, right. is kind of ash, or, or you know, when you hold a hold something above a candle, you get yeah. that kind of black. So that's what they coloured this extraordinary compound with, Ooh. and it was rolled into biscuits, so little flat patties, yeah. and then stamped with the master, and that obviously held the the grooves. Yeah, Fascinating. Just, it's amazing. So yeah. th this is what they were up to, and at around this time, the United States Gramophone Company was formed. And it would control the Berlin patterns for, yeah. of, of records, etc. And a, a few years later, Fred went to London to launch the gramophone company. What did Sinclair do? Yeah, so Fred goes over in 1898. Yeah. And uh, he works for the gramophone company and he's to, he's to do, the, you know, recording, fi fine music um, to, to put on records. Sinclair Darby, and I'm not quite sure why he ends up going there, but he, he ends up in Germany working for... Joseph Berliner, that was the cousin of, um, of Emil Berliner. Yeah. And so so when they moved into Europe, they set up the gramophone company in the UK to do the recording and exploitation and selling of records. But they didn't put their pressing plant there. They, they moved it to Hanover and they set up a company called Deutsche Gramophone, which went on to become a record label of, of its own, a very famous one. And they were simply a manufacturing plant. They were making the records that the the recordings would be done by the UK gramophone company. They'd be sent to Hanover to be pressed, and the, the finished records were sent to the UK to be sold. But Sinclair Darby was brought over. He was a recording 
assistant. Yeah. And Joe Berlin has sent him off, we know at least, to Russia on a recording trip to make records for him and that he would then sell directly into markets that only the gramophone company should be selling it. So, so he was what, he was, his... He was stitching up William Barry Owen's company, the gramophone company. Yeah. Joseph Berliner was thinking, I'll have a little bit of that myself. And he went off and made records and sold them himself. And, and Barry Owen finds this out and goes absolutely apoplectic. So and they have a big fallout over it, and then they have to redraw the, back, the lines between Hanover and... Um, and where's Sinclair? Uh, and, and, Sinclair's, and Sinclair's over on the naughty step with with Joseph Berliner. He's quite he's quite duplicitous, really, isn't he? It's well, he's he's a kid, isn't he? He's, I think he's nineteen or twenty at this point. So, um, so he's sent halfway across the world. Yeah, amazing. And 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 what comes out of the big fallout is that they are sent to work together, Fred and and Sinclair Darby, and, and, and this kind of wonderful relationship develops. A bromance. It? It's, it's a bromance. It's a Victorian bromance. Yeah. Um, so, so it's 1899, and, and the, the they romance... Young men? They're young men in London, aren't they? They're young men. They're, they're unattached young men. I mean, from the diaries, you can tell they, they definitely have an eye for the ladies. They like a, a night out. I mean, Fred Fred's diaries are full of nights out till six o'clock in the morning and, and drinking copious amounts of champagne and vodka. Yeah. And, and, and Sinclair Derby likes doing the same thing. And they, they sort of do a tour of Europe, don't they? The six-city tour, six tour of May to August 1899. They go to Hanover to see the factory. They go to Leipzig. There's this wonderful picture of them in, in Rome eating spaghetti on a street table. I'm going to be pedantic. It's Milan. I beg your the pardon. The six cities, because they go Budapest, Vienna, Milan. Yeah, and it, it looks like the scene in uh, The Lady in the Tramp, you know, when the, the, yes. the, the two dogs are eating spaghetti and they and they sort of suck the, the same piece of spaghetti until the... It looks like that. They look like this... But they're white they're table in love, aren't they? They, they do. And the, the waiters behind... It looks like nothing much has changed. I mean, yeah. these restaurants are everywhere in Italy, aren't they? And there's, there's, there's other pictures of them with beers, you know, glasses of beer. Maybe that's in... in um, Leipzig earlier on on the tour, but and they, they're always slightly mugging for the camera. They're always well. slightly mugging for the camera. But this, you know, they're living AC nine. So they're in they're in Milan. They go to the La Scala and they see Verdi just kind of wandering around. Yeah. Um, I often see the venerable Verdi. Fred said, who would regularly take up an afternoon drive in an open landau drawn by two horses. People would stand on the curb and raise their hats and salute as the carriage proceeded. Apparently, though, he was a frail, transparent wisp of a man. But the trim of his pure white beard so corresponded with the popular picture of him that one could not fail to identify him. <laughs> so they basically went on a lad's tour of Europe, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, and they just look like they're having the time of their lives, enjoying each other's company. But they also made 200 records in the second half of May 1899 alone, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the guy that, that runs the um, gramophone company, William Barry Owen, he's delighted yeah. when they get back. Uh, he's delighted so much so they get back in August and he sends them out on a tour of UK. The UK. Uh, they go to Glasgow, they go to where, you know. They Belfast, think... actually, they go to Dublin as well. So it's, uh, they, go, they, they take in Ireland and they go to Cardiff. Shall we play a song that Sinclair recorded? Sinclair, yeah. through, through, Sinclair through the years did lots of beautiful recordings. This one is a singer called Fiorello Gerard or Gerard. Uh, and the song is called Ancora. And this was from um, 1904. Oh, <laughs> 
Gerard, Gerard. Excuse my pronunciation, but that was that was recorded in that would have been City Road, wouldn't it? Mm. In 1904. So th- as we've discussed, I went on these wonderful kind of lads tours. But there's one st- one story that leaps out about a, a large woman and a sausage on a train. Uh, yeah, spicy sausage. Spicy sausage. Um, they, 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 I think they were in France, weren't they? Or Spain. Spain. They were in Spain. It's Spain, and they they're, they're, August 99. That's right. It's it's the end of that trip. The Six City trip. And it's, it's a little confusing, but they're either going from Lisbon to Valencia or the, or the other way around, aren't they? I, I think what they're doing, they, they don't, I don't think they go to Lisbon. I, th- I think they are at a, at a train station and they're, they're either going to get the train to Lisbon or they're going to get the train back to Paris from, from Madrid. And they decide it's unreliable, the trains to, to Portugal. That's so it. they're going to so, go home. So they're going to go home. Yeah. And they, this is the train from Madrid station back to back to Paris. And this is a snapshot of, of, of this kind of a, the, the interrailing gap year it, it feels uh, vibe like that, yeah. of uh, knowing that a Spaniard's tomorrow means never. We, we, we <laughs> Maniana, had our, yeah. Maniana. We had our luggage transferred to the Madrid train. And at seven o'clock, we rejourneyed over the same ground they travelled last night. So they were retracing their steps. Going back to, yeah. yeah. We were sad, tired and provoked. However, before starting, we invested nine pence in a sausage, three rolls, and a bottle of wine. This we tackled with great relish, as we were nearly famished. The train was awful close. Hot, that's a Southern American, isn't it? The train was awful, awful, awful close. close. And no. as these European ra- railroad carriages gave no draught, brackets, as there is no vestibule, we suffered awfully from the heat and thirst caused by the salty sausage. You, you don't want a you, salty sausage. You don't want that. So the next day, they're on this train, dehydrated, Full of salty sausage. We entered Madrid at eight in the morning. Arriving at the station, we finally accomplished the difficult task of reg- registering trunks and tried to find a place in the coach, but they were all full. So they're clearly changing trains here, obviously. Mm. Um, at last, finding an empty seat, I jumped in and sat down, just as a fat matron with a bitter tongue claimed it. I refused to move. And she plumped down on my lap, and there remained. Well, Darby on the outside frantically ran around looking for me. <laughs> at last I gave her a push and slipped out from beneath her and as she fell back into the seat with a jar Darby got in as the fat woman got out of the car to give her seat to her daughter for whom she was preserving it Darby slapped himself into it and immediately two men and, an, and the old woman yelled and pulled and tugged and punched at him <laughs> finally he had to give it up and with a long face squeezed himself in a place opposite and then it was my turn to laugh the ride was the worst I ever endured. So this was this was you know three nights on a train to record. They're not having a huge amount of. It's not luxury. Fun. It's not like I mean, no, sorry, it probably is fun, but it's certainly yeah. not luxury, is yeah. it? But it's what memories are made of and stories and. Yeah, um, I mean, you you know, we we know that um, Wil, Wilfred uh, Barry Owen, when he first came over, was staying in the Hotel Cecil, which was one of the most expensive hotels yeah. in Europe. Um, I don't think Fred. Is staying in those kind of places, no. sleeping on the train. It does. It does feel like student land. It really does. But they then, pretty soon after, go do this tour of the UK and Ireland yeah. that we talked about. They go to Glasgow and they they there's a bunch of pipers, which Fred says, very poor artists. They they would be run out of town in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> Scotch songs and music are good, characteristic and original, but its singers are poor, lacking quality and evenness of tone. Yeah. Got a feel for them. There's, there's, a, there's a picture of them um, in Dublin after the recording. It's the two of those with two girls. Ah, oh, yeah, really quite suggestive. I mean, they've got yeah. 
I mean, these fail the Me Too test, frankly. Yeah. The, the the girls, everyone's gurning at the camera. Fred is is sitting behind They're standing the girl. behind the women who are yeah. both sitting, and they've both got their arms around their necks, haven't they? The, the men have got their arms oh, around Oh, yeah, I didn't realise Fred has as well. Yeah, Fred's got his arms around one girl's neck, and... Sinclair Darby's all over the other one, like yeah. a bad suit. But then the girls yeah. are holding hands. I mean, yeah. this did they go out? Did they? What, 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 what do we know about what happened? I don't know, but it looks like they had a lot of fun. It looks like they had a lot of fun. They look very relaxed with each other. But there was clear respect between Fred and Sinclair, weren't they? You know, they clearly, yeah. they clearly got on very well. To the extent that in, in 1900, Fred went to Russia to record, and he picked Sinclair up in Berlin. That's right, because I think, I think Sinclair Darby used Berlin as his base. As his base. For, for periods of time, anyway, uh, at this stage. And they had a hell of an adventure. I mean, the, that Russia trip was quite something, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, it was dangerous, it was thrilling, it was... And they went miles away from off the beaten track. And there's a wonderful picture of Sinclair Derby demonstrating the gramophone in a, on a train platform in, in, in Russia. Because it's fantastic, you know, all these people that they would run into would never have heard recorded yeah. music. And there are people saying... People standing around in huge fur coats and hats and boots, just watching Sinclair in a tweed suit and cap playing this early, very early playback gramophone, which was before the tone arm. If you look at the picture, the 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 the, the horn is actually attached. So sorry, the stylus is attached to the end of the horn. Yeah. So we didn't even have tone arms then. It's, but there were two stories from Russia that um, are quite amusing slash scary of of Fred and Sinclair's adventures. One is when is when they gave this demonstration. And as Dave said, that the natives, as Fred called them, had never, ever, ever seen this before. Mm. It's extraordinary. But the second one was the kind of... They got sleighs everywhere, which I suppose was the way of getting around there. Wasn't yeah, it's it? snowy in St. Petersburg. and it, it just sounds hugely romantic. They went across St. Petersburg in sleighs, or, or vehicles on runners, as they call them. The ground was covered with ice from November to April. The Neva River is frozen five to six feet thick. Yeah, and every winter, an electric trolley line is laid on the ice crossing over the river. The effect on it of St. Petersburg on a stranger and so electric trolley like so they, they like a like a tram the, yes like a, like a temporary oh, wow. tram before it melts. The effect so on a stranger and a southerner is very fascinating. I wanted to be out in the sleigh all the time, watching the dashing sleighs and their occupants, uh, so warmly clad in their heavy furs. Well, actually, they they buy don't they? They buy a hundred ruble fur coats. Yeah. And there's a picture of the two of them, again, mugging to the camera, wearing these really huge fur coats. And they went out. They, they had meals. Uh, they ordered dinner, starting with oysters, for four rubles for ten. I don't know how many, how much that is. Eating slowly and listening to music in restaurants, stretching their dinner out till 4 a.m. Well, there you go. Party, party. I mean, the programme consisted of choruses singing folk songs, balalaika players uh, doing solos, and they get, get back at dawn to their hotel. Play hard, work hard. Why not? Why not? They were kind of talent scouts as well. So they, they'd do these trips and they'd be looking for people to record. They couldn't find anyone, really, could they? And this is when Chalyapin, I think. Was that when Chalyapin? They first they see They see Chalyapin Another before, episode. And, yeah, they think he's rather good. But it, they don't get to record him on this trip. So we have another recording? Yeah. This was in 1906, actually. And it was recorded on, on a 10-inch disc by Sinclair. Um, it's Maria Galvani and Tito Ruffo singing uh, an aria from, from Rigoletto called Si Vendetta. Si 
That was quite full on, mm. I felt. It was very nice, but yeah. 1906, powerful. Because, I mean, that, that, that's sort of how it evolved. That was a Sinclair recording. When they get back from Russia, yeah. they pretty much never recorded together again. Fred and Fred and Sinclair Darby. He, 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 you know, I think I think the company's growing so quickly, and there's requests from all over the the empire, as it were, all the different offices yeah. for local recordings to be done, and they can't afford. You know, as soon as the guy can work the recording machine and a new new set of equipment comes from from the head office, then you're off on your own as a separate recording guy. So you're saying the, the company almost got too big, and they had to go this. You know, they went their split, separate split ways, up. but there they were there were other. You know, there were new assistants coming in. So Will joins the company yeah. about this point. And in fact, Will goes as Fred's assistant in 1902 to record Caruso. To record Caruso. But at the same time, Sinclair Darby goes off to Russia on his own and records it. He may have taken an assistant with him, but he certainly He went to Warsaw Fred. as well, didn't he? Yeah. He, 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 yeah. Warsaw. And he, he goes to, um, in 1902, he does Georgia and Azerbaijan and Russia. They go he, back. But he goes back with Fred, doesn't he? To yeah, Russia. Yeah, yeah. And was this the acid incident? No, that was on the first trip. That was on the Russia. first trip. Yeah, when, when they're coming back, I think they're in Poland on their way back, and, yeah. and they're in a hotel room, and the, the, the acid leaks from whatever ve- vessel it's in and, goes and soaks through the floor and drops floor. onto somebody beneath. Terrible, yeah. terrifying. But that's the danger, you know, they're packing cases full of equipment. Weighed an absolute, you know, ton. Six large packing cases they went. This is 1899, but it, was, it gives you a good impression. Yeah. Six large packing cases full of portable recording equipment, weighing up to 260 pounds each. Yeah. How much is that? What's that? 260 pounds is... Well, it's heavy. What, it's 16 heavy. stone, 17 stone. And clinking bell jars of acid. I mean, yeah, come yeah, on, yeah, it's, yeah. it's extraordinary. Um, so Fred and Sinclair go back to Russia, don't they, in, in 1914. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, you, this is like the band getting back together again. They've, <laughs> they've, been, they've been going their separate ways for the last 10 years, doing loads of recording trips, both of them. And it looks like they don't do that many together, but this, this one they do, and it's, it's fascinating. It's just after the start of the First World War. Russia's changed, obviously, hugely. Fred says, um, four months after the war broke out, I saw the birth of that pathetic and unhappily permanent feature of Russian life. The Q. The Q. Q. Uh, what can ever compensate for the billions of hours weary women and children have so patiently endured in cold and rain, standing in those dismal processions? Yeah. Deary me. And so, so they recall some good stuff there, do we know? I'm sure they did. Lydia, Lydia Lipkovskaya. Never heard of her. Never heard of her, but she, she was one of the big names they did. So yeah, they, they had this, it was almost the last hurrah, was it, that trip? Yeah. I don't think Sinkle Derby goes on any more trips. I can't find any more information of, of trips. So why, it, why is I, that? I think he's, I think he's um, works at the the um, recording studio at Hayes from then on. Well, what do they say about artists? A pram in the hallway is, is, the, is the death knell oh. to an artist. He, he gets married in 1910. Uh, he's aged 32 to a woman who's 10 years younger than him. Wow. And maybe this is a natural split in his life and a yeah. split, split with going on the road they have three children in 1912 in 1914 and i haven't got a date oh 1919 so when when he goes off to russia he's got a two-year-old 
and a pregnant wife. Gosh, that's good of her, isn't it? Yeah. And maybe she doesn't want him going off for weeks and weeks at a time, particularly when you look at all the pictures of the fun they have when they're together with maybe, ladies and she late found his diaries. And, you know. Maybe she found <laughs> his diaries. But it all comes to an end. Yeah. Um, in fact, yeah, he he he, def- he carries on doing recording, but he doesn't he doesn't record in um, on on foreign trips anymore. And then, actually, after six more years, he decides to leave the company. He decides, doesn't he? He decides yeah. to go back to America. And he's f- no, no, he's not not to America at this point. Although he does, oh, he, he does end up okay. going back to Canada and America while yeah. he's kind of working out what to do next. But there's a fabulous dinner. He's, he's aged forty-one. I, I do wonder: is this a midlife crisis? I don't want to be at Ian. Um, the gramophone company, it still would be the gramophone company. But people were sort of older then, if that makes sense, weren't they? You know, life expectancy was shorter. Maybe he did retire closer to to then. Yes, they had this dinner at the Savoy, didn't they? Yeah, a lunch given to William Sinclair Darby on the termination of his connection with the company by his colleagues, with whom he was associated for over 20 years. And there's a menu, and and I think this is in the, um, the, the EMI archive, Signed by Fred Geisberg, Landon Ronald, who was the, the musical director. Yeah. Peter Dawson, who was the, the singer who sang back to Nelly Melba and also did the impersonations of the Scottish baritone and lots of other people. And it's a fabulous printed menu. Can you, can you see what, what he had for lunch? No, tell me. Uh, well, I'll tell you. So they, they, they start off with um, Royal Whitstable Natives, which are um, oysters. Oysters. Billets of Sol Pagnini. I think Pagnini is probably the chef at the um, oh, it's Pagnini's restaurant. Yeah, so he will yeah. be Pagnini. Uh, so some Sol. Then it's um, Pheasant au Cocotte, which right. is Pheasant Casserole. And then it's served with Chauffleur Sauté, sautéed cauliflower. And this is Sinclair's retirement? No, this, he's, not, he's, he's just retiring from the company. Yeah, so yeah. he's not retiring, he's just leaving the company. Well, that's very, that's jolly nice. Yeah, Hans nice Anna, and then he has um, spaghetti au gratin, so cheese spaghetti, and then he has a macedoine linda, which is a, a mixture of, ve- of fruit. They did, they did, people. they did, they did this kind of thing very well back yeah. then, didn't they? And of course, fromage to finish off with. And Fred was obviously he was sad. He was going to miss his buddy, wasn't he? Well, I would think so. Yeah. He goes away and he has a, f- a few goes at starting businesses. Sinclair. Yeah, he's he's really interesting business. Um, it didn't amount to much, but it's interesting. He set up something called Darby Cord. This is brilliant. And da- his, the idea was that you could record your children. So you could, ha- you could have a recording of your children, which you could, I guess, keep in a scrapbook or yeah. send to granddad and granny and, or, or relatives overseas to listen to little, little Johnny talking down the, the recording thing. Um, and I found on, on the web some what looked like publicity photos, which are his two older children... Um, singing into a mic or speaking into a mic and then the second picture we'll put put these onto the Sound of the Hound website page and the second one is is his wife holding up a little child the youngest son Robert two years old and that, that that's Bob and you can see William Sinclair Darby uh, in the picture so he's now a, he's now a middle aged man. man still dashing did they record at home or did they go somewhere to record it because no, they're, they're they in are a, singing they, into a yeah, recording they have horn, their own stu- studio if you if you look on i've got a record label here of darby, darby cord yeah. from the darby cord studios it says 71 new bond street so i'm guessing that's where the 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 studio is so you went in the kids stood in front of the horn and, and sang and whatever sang or, and he'd press it up and he'd give it to granny for for christmas yeah so what a lovely thing. It is a lovely thing, but I guess it's like 
I remember when we first got a tape recorder in our house and yeah. my dad forced us all to say something and then he posted the cassette to, to my grandmother. Oh, this is so literally the exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the label for Derby Court was quite interesting, wasn't it? It was, so, it was like something out of Blue Peter. It was yeah, it's lovely. Of... It's, it's got, a, it's got a, a small kind of cartoon house yes. with uh, trees, cartoon trees either side and then a, a cartoon... Little old man and a cartoon and little lady it, next it, to From it. the Derby Cord Studios. Yeah. I mean, it takes a little bit of um, self-belief slash arrogance to name a, name a whole technology after yourself, doesn't it? Yeah, why not? Well, why not? And it's got um, a record of a little boy's voice, aged two years, 11 months, 16th of February, 1922. That, that's the suit. And that, that is Bob. That, that's Bob. So that's it? Bob. We've seen the picture of him. Um, and we've looked everywhere online for this recording. I can't find it. No, anymore. I can't find it. I wonder what happened to Derby Court. It just stopped. Well, with it, so this is in, he, he leaves uh, Gramophone Company in 1920. Yeah. And in, I think by about 1922, he's back in the record business. So he, he has a go at this yeah. recording business, yeah. which I guess is part of the record business. Yeah. But he, he then joins Brunswick, which is a competitor coming into the UK. So it's an American label, Brunswick. I, th- I think Bing Crosby was on Brunswick. I think it was it was quite a big label at the time, and he's given the the UK franchise, the 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 English company. Yeah, I think I think originally it, it was he was like the agent selling selling the records for the American Brunswick, and then him and his father in law, he borrows money off his father in law, and they set up the UK to both do recordings in the UK and to sell the American recordings. Unfortunately. It didn't work, and they they both lost a lot of money doing this. Do you think that? Do you think his wife was kind of the power behind the throne here, and she was sort of urging him to go out, you know, strike out on your own? Get it, a, does, get, it does sound get like, away, get out of sort of Fred's Fred's shadow, really. Yeah, well, it's it's. I guess you you're in your forties. You've got a collection of young children. Ten years to make your fortune. Ten years to make your fortune, and and he he has a go, and it, she. I suspect she's. I don't know. Maybe this is unfair, but you know. He stops going on his recording trips. Yeah. He becomes domestic. He works only pretty much in the UK. Yeah. And then he l- ventures forth to try and make the big books. I, I suspect, yeah, it's, it's either him doing it for her or her um, encouraging him to do that, I would think. There's this lovely, very touching little vignette in the, in, in, in the Fred's diaries about when Fred retired in 1939. Yeah. There was a, another big dinner for him when he went. And then he sailed to America as Fred put it, to see home people and the old things again. And he arrived in New York, and who was there to meet him on the quay? William Sinclair Darby. Sinclair yeah. Darby. And they, they can't have seen each other for, you know, many years many by that years. point. Yeah. Many years. Because Sinclair Darby moves back to, to live in the States around 1930. So I would think for at least nine years they've not seen each other, and possibly possibly more. That's really lovely. I hope they had a big night. I hope so, yeah. Until four in the morning. Until four in the for morning. For old time's sake. Although... I guess Fred's in his 70s at that point and, and Sinclair Darby's in his 60s. They've seen things, haven't they? They have. And he died uh, in 1950. He, he does, yeah. So age 72. Just before Fred. So Fred outlives him by a year. In Baltimore, yeah. Maryland. Yeah. I've got a, I've, I've got a, there's a picture of his um, headstone. Yeah, William Sinclair Darby. It's very simple. All it says is William Sinclair Darby, October 8th, 1878, December 15th, 1950. That's today. We're recording this. Oh, it's, yes, on December the 15th. Oh, well, let's raise a glass. 70, 70 years after he passed 70 away. 70 years to the day. Yeah. I'm raising a glass of water. 
to think of clink clink i'll do the same I and i think i think you know we, he is he is slightly forgotten and um but alan kelly who who has done more research into into the emi catalogs and the gramophone company catalogs than 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 most if if not everyone he he referred to Sinclair Darby said in the making of his regular series of wax cut recordings, Sinclair Darby travelled extensively all over Europe and beyond. This is this is quite amazing, producing a total of over ten thousand records. Wow, over one thousand which came from a visit to the Far East in nineteen oh five. So amazing! Um, you know, that's a hell of a legacy, isn't it? Yeah, interesting chap, a really interesting chap, and as Dave says, slightly overlooked. Yeah. Um, should we finish with it with a nice upbeat bit of chanson that um, Sinclair recorded? Yes, in nineteen oh seven. This is a singer called Yvette Gilbert singing a song called La Soulade. And it's rather lovely. Here we go. by Yvette Gilbert. So that was Sinclair Derby. That was Sinclair Derby. Thank you very much for listening. Until really next time. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. The Sound of the Hound was edited by Andy Hetherington. For more details on the topics discussed in this episode, visit soundofthehound.com or follow us on Twitter on at the sound of the H1 or on Instagram on The Sound of the Hound.